0: Anxiety and Pain Perception, an interview with the spine surgeon, Dr. David Hanscom. Are you struggling with anxiety and chronic pain? Anxiety and pain go hand in hand. So pain is our body's way of telling us that something is wrong. And anxiety, on the other hand, is a symptom that compels us to take action so we can survive. In these times of uncertainty, people are more inclined to feel anxious, especially when they have to deal with the negative effects of COVID-19 pandemic. It is important that we understand this relationship between pain and anxiety. Anxiety is the pain and is also necessary for life, which is kind of a little different than anxiety disorder and we'll talk a little bit later. But once you understand its nature and role, you'll be able to assimilate it into your life in a manner that will allow you to thrive. So do you want to learn how to enhance your body's potential to heal and thrive even in these uncertain times? Then you're in the right place. In today's program, Dr. Hanscom, a spine surgeon and author, will share how he successfully dealt with his own anxiety and pain and restored his physical and mental health after going through 15 years of chronic pain. The insights he gained from his experience and the practices he applied and helped many other people apply may help you as well in your journey towards this holistic healing. So are you ready? Thank you friends for joining us. I am sure you're going to learn a lot from our guest, Dr. Hanscom. Hi, Dr. Hanscom.
1: Hi, Rosina. Nice to see you.
0: Nice to see you. Thank you for coming. Dr. Hanscom is an orthopedic spine surgeon who quit his clinical practice after 32 years to educate providers and patients about solutions to chronic pain. He's the author of the book, Do You Really Need Spine Surgery?, and Back in Control, A Surgeon's Roadmap Out of Chronic Pain, second edition. He also started his program called the DOC, that is, Direct Your Care Journey, to help people break free from the grip of mental and physical pain. If this is the first time you are joining us, my name is Dr. Rosina, and I've been helping you with stress, anxiety, and depression. Over the last 20 years, I've been serving as a medical doctor specializing in psychiatry, a best-selling author, and a transformative speaker. I started this program, Happy and Healthy the Dr. Rosina, because I really believe that a lot of suffering can be prevented with this mind training. And over here, we share tips for your mental fitness so you don't have to suffer unnecessarily. These interviews are broadcasted live every Saturday at 11 a.m. Pacific time. And if you're joining us during the live program, you can ask questions by putting them in the in the comment section. And if you would like to get text for the reminders in future, you can text us at text the word joyful to the number 38470. So we can send you the reminder and resources. We also have a Facebook group with the same name, Happy and Healthy Mind with Dr. Rosina, where we share the resources uh, shared in these programs. And you can join by clicking the link in the description. If you find any value in these programs, like, subscribe, and share so more people can be helped to live a happier and healthier life. And before we dive in, let me share this disclaimer that all this information is for educational purposes and should not be considered treatment. Please refer to your healthcare professional for medical advice. So today, our topic of discussion is anxiety anxiety. And pain, and especially with pain perception and chronic pain. So, Dr. Hanscom, please share with us how did this topic become important in your life? What kind of problems were you having before you applied some of the tools that you're going to talk to us about?
1: Well, that's a bit of a story. I was driving across the 520 bridge in Seattle um, about 10 o'clock one night after a spine meeting, and also I had a panic attack. So I was driving down the down ramp. I started to sweat. My heart started to race. I almost passed out. Of course, I thought I was having a heart attack. I didn't know what a panic attack was. In fact, I actually did not know what anxiety was. I had become this major spine surgeon with the attitude of bring it on. I was truly fearless. My nickname in high school was called the brick. And I was just tough, really tough. So it would be incredibly tough honestly not knowing what, knowing what the word anxiety meant to crippling anxiety in five minutes. Once that happened, I could not put it back in the back. I could not stop it. And so for the next 15 years, I had endless anxiety that became worse and worse and worse. It was crippling. It was, it, it morphed into a full blown obsessive compulsive disorder, which is a severe anxiety disorder. And it was a disaster. I also developed another 16 other physical symptoms in addition to the anxiety. So I was in chronic pain for almost 15 solid years, and it was just a nightmare.
0: And so that sounds like really difficult, and especially if somebody has never experienced anxiety, having that sudden problem may have put a lot of effect on your practice. You were practicing surgery at that time, right?
1: Yeah, I, I was so competent and skilled in practice at surgery, able to maintain my practice, but my relationships fell apart. My quality of life fell apart. I lost Mm -hmm. a marriage over the whole thing. And so I was able to practice. But in fact, that was my one relief was actually being in the clinic, seeing patients doing surgery. That was actually my escape mechanism during the midst of this whole thing. Mm -hmm. But no, from a personal standpoint, my quality of life was way below zero. Mm
0: -hmm. So you must have kind of gone through your own journey to learn how to manage that. And so, and I hope you'll be sharing some of those tools later in the program. But first tell me like, you know, how is your life now in terms of after applying those tools to manage that anxiety and chronic pain?
1: Well, I'm good. And I learned the pathway out of chronic pain step by step by step, literally a millimeter at a time. I learned by trying mostly things that didn't work. And as things started to work, I used them myself, but also shared them, shared them with my patients. So I'm fine. I mean, the prognosis for an obsessive compulsive disorder, which, as you well know, is a very poor prognosis, I'm fine. What I'm excited about, and this is what happens with my patients consistently, not only not only am I doing fine, I'm thriving at a level I just did not know existed before, because I'm not fighting off this thing called anxiety.
0: Wonderful, wonderful, and so. When did this chronic pain become associated with anxiety?
1: It started with anxiety.
0: Okay, and then it uh, developed into pain?
1: Well, it all came at once, so to speak. I had neck pain, back pain. I couldn't sleep. My feet were burning. I I had had migraine headaches since I was five years old, so that was not new. My ears started to ring. These skin rashes started to pop up and i thought anxiety was primarily a psychological construct which although is a big component of anxiety turned out that i always thought anxiety was the cause of the problem and it turns out anxiety is just a word that we use to describe a reaction to a threat so anxiety is your reaction to the threat it's not the cause of the threat so my cat has a survival response if she's threatened by a dog or some other creature she has this horrendous response and then we have the same response as mammals but we have these words that we call anxiety so, so i i kept i spent 13 years in psychotherapy trying to solve this problem and it kept getting worse what i didn't realize is that if anxiety is simply the sensation generated by your body's survival response the way to the way to lower anxiety is simply drop that survival re, survival response the problem is nobody told me what was wrong I mean how did he go from a fearless successful spine surgery to crippling anxiety in one day then be in that hole for 15 solid years so it turns out that repressed any threat gets the body fired up What i just recently learned it also includes the immune system which i realized we learned in medical school but i had forgotten about that so it turns out that anxiety bipolar depression ocd are all inflammatory disorders Hmm. it's a physiological response to a threat so we, we also know from the neuroscience that mental pain and physical threats are processed in the same part of the brain. You have the same neurochemical results, except of course, humans can't escape their thoughts. So every one of us is subjected to this ongoing reaction that says danger. And then of course, in the animal kingdom, there's no reward for being vulnerable. Anxiety represents the feeling of being vulnerable. So in the animal kingdom, if you truly are vulnerable, you die you don't survive. So humans have the same issue, we're mammals, we have the same drive to survive. And what's ironic in the human condition, what makes humanity worth living is vulnerability, which is the essence of relationships. So we have a problem here, we have a a biological need to be safe, we have a human need to be vulnerable, and it gets blocked by this need to survive. It's a huge problem. Now, once you understand the problem is actually relatively easy to solve, but, and that's a whole different topic, but that's what I'm so excited about. I actually quit my practice two years ago to bring this out into the real world. Cause it turns out we are doing surgery on anxiety and you don't need to do that. Plus it doesn't work. Plus a failed surgery makes anxiety worse. I saw so much surgery being done that was actively hurting people and so much success by watching people learn tools to sort of calm down their whole survival response. I, I just had to quit. So that's what I'm on a mission to do. Is to do what I can do. And if there's one thing I wanted to just bring to your listeners, is that anxiety is a physiological response. When we say physiology is how the body functions, and medicine is focused on structure. So the structure isn't the problem. It's your body's chemical changes, your metabolism, your blood sugar, your stress hormones, your inflammatory cytokines. All those create that sensation called anxiety. The way you're solving, so how do you start dropping all those things down?
0: Okay, so yeah, it it seems like it's really interesting, and we would love to learn some of the ways to decrease both this anxiety and chronic pain. But let's kind of, you were talking about your cat and her response. So let me ask the audience which animal do you think is the most anxious animal? Please go ahead and put the answers in the comment section. Here she is.
1: (laughs) So she is, uh, so I think she's the most anxious and calmest. In other words, when she's anxious, I mean, she's like a lightning, you know, cats are fast, right? And so right now she's a little upset upset at me because I just grabbed her. But when she's relaxed, she's dead asleep. The thing about my cat, so I brought her into the backyard last week, and there is a dog in the backyard brought over by a friend of mine. I thought it'd be a good idea to introduce my cat to this dog. Well, that didn't go well. She started <laughs> screaming, yelling, scratching. So she had that survival response, right? But see, when humans have this, when your boss yells at you, you have the same response. But see, my cat lay down and she went to sleep. Humans have consciousness. So we'll think about our boss for a day or two or a week or two over a long time. So that language thing is a problem for humans that my cat doesn't have. So my cat lays down and goes to sleep. She's the calmest creature on this planet. So it's about this, it's about your body's chemistry that determines your state of alertness, state of anxiety, state of well-being. really depends on your body's chemistry.
0: So that's why I thought the cat, my cat was the most relaxed animal. Let me ask the audience, which animal do you think is most relaxed? What do you think, Dr. Hanscom?
1: Well, I can't think when my cat is relaxed, You cannot see anything more relaxed than my cat, just sound asleep in the sun, spread out, upside down, whatever. So I mean, I think the I think every mammal is somewhat the same way because the reason why they get so relaxed when they're relaxed is I remember we, our first thing is to avoid threat, but we have to gravitate towards safety to regenerate. So I think when most mammals or most living creatures have a chance to have safety, they really know how to regenerate, where humans don't know how to do that very well.
0: I, I totally agree. It's like, I feel like when I see a squirrel, I think the squirrel is the most anxious. You know, it's always like looking around and running. But once they kind of are able to let go of that thread, they're kind of able to relax and enjoy. And uh, same with the cats. And I think with most of the animals, and we somehow develop this prefrontal cortex, and it helps us. But sometimes it also interferes in our ability to relax and enjoy whatever is. Absolutely. So um, why don't we jump to talking about some specific techniques that helped you. And of course you do your program. And how many people have been able to get relief from the chronic pain by attending your program? Well, you first, of all, first of all,
1: it's self-directed. And so I wrote a book called Back in Control, uh-huh. The Surgeons Who Out of Chronic Pain, which I know you know about the book. That's why I'm here. And then i created a website called BackInControl.com, And between the book and the website, it's about 90% self-directed. And what's really wonderful for practitioners like yourself is that it provides a foundation, so allows you to do your job much better. So that's the basis of it. This week, or, or last week, we released a, a project called The Doc Journey, the docjourney.com. And it's more of a straight-line pathway. And by understanding anxiety better, by understanding the survival reaction, teaching people how to calm down. We're seeing people get better at a much faster rate than we used to. But I I mean, I'm conservatively estimating over 10 years, at least 1,500 people have gone to pain-free. We're now starting to collect the data about what seems to work for most people. But by definition, chronic pain is complicated, lots of parts to it. Each person is individual. So it's a completely different solution for each person. I just need to rant just for a second. So here's the problem with medicine right now. Okay? So every symptom in our body is the result of your nervous system taking the sensory input and cause and causing you to act in a way that keeps you safe. Okay? So if you're in the sun relaxed, while your muscles are relaxed, your skin is warm, your heart rate is slower, if you're under threat, your muscles are tense, your heart rate's higher, every physical symptom is created by your brain processing the environment. Everyone, when, what we're doing it, so the essence of the problem for clinical illness is ongoing threat with resultant symptoms and the solution is creating safety. But what happens in medicine, we're treating these symptoms that, that are the result of threat versus safety. And really you have the human organism with its coping skills, you have the environment, and by, by not talking to our patients this day, day and age, we first of all don't promote safety, Second of all, we don't know the issue. I don't know you. I don't know your coping skills. I don't know the environment you're in. So unless I know you as a person and know have some feel for your environment, everything else we do is almost a waste of time. I mean, it's fine to treat symptoms in addition, but the root cause is your body processes the environment in a way to keep you safe.
0: That's true. I'm a psychiatrist, so... I try to focus on the holistic health, and I always try to see what are the other uh, other things that the person is doing that may be bringing anxiety or depression or other right. psychiatric problems. Right. Um, and I think more and more doctors are, especially the integrative medicine, is focusing on all aspects of human human being, not just like separating mind and body and only focusing on one thing.
1: But so, but, 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 but Marusi, I have I should just vent a little bit again. So I'm actually I'm actually going to war a little bit with mainstream medicine. So I don't like the words holistic, integrative medicine anymore, because that's medicine. That is medicine. You're looking at the whole human organism. So integrative medicine implies that, well, there's something different than regular medicine. Regular medicine has flat out lost its soul. We're not listening to people. We're not creating safety. 70% of spine surgery should not be done, maybe more. We're actually hurting people with our procedures. It's predatory. So they don't have the data. And so what I call, so integrated medicine, holistic medicine, that's medicine. I'm not sure what to call mainstream medicine yet, but it is not, I'm going to call it predatory medicine. And there's a <laughs> lot, well, I'm serious. I mean, there's lots of well-meaning doctors, but the business of medicine has kidnapped the doctors. They kidnapped the patients. They don't promote safety.
0: So that's why you are focusing on direct your own care so that people can focus on themselves completely and attend to the important aspects of life. But let me just kind of focus for today's program on specific techniques that the audience can do right away to help them decrease this anxiety and pain. Can you share like, you know, maybe two or three of like really practical tools that people can apply the tools that you have been benefited from and the tools that you see help people the most?
1: So the first one is education. Understand anxiety is necessary for life. It's powerful. You cannot and should not get rid of it. In other words, you get to watch it and see it, but it's not who you are. So it's an amoral, very strong, powerful survival response. So when people understand it's just a survival response that they have, there's lots of unpleasant sensations from it, unpleasant thoughts. You don't have to feel bad about having this reaction, which is necessary for life. So the first step by far is understanding the nature of anxiety. So get rid of the word. Just say elevated sympathetic response. My survival response is up. Picture a big thermometer that just goes up and down. So the visualization and understanding your body's neurochemical nature is the first step. The mm-hmm. second thing is called expressive writing. And there's a book out called Opening Up by Writing It Down. It turns out there's over a thousand well-done research papers that documents that expressive writing somehow separates you from your thoughts. Doesn't solve them, doesn't fix them. It's not the final solution, but every person that's gotten better has always started, that, started with that one concept called expressive writing. You simply write down your thoughts, tear them up. It sounds simplistic. People are somewhat insulted sometimes that it's so simple. It's the first tool I used by accident that pulled me out of this tailspin. But wound healing is better. School performance is better. Liver functions improve. Kidney functions improve. Cognition improves. It's unviral load and HIV drops down. We don't know why it's so powerful, but it is a very well documented process. The next step is what I call. A, like,
0: before we go into that i actually call it therapeutic writing when i'm telling patients right and i tell them that i want you to put a timer because you don't want to keep on ranting over and over again right. So just put like you know 15 minutes a day you start the timer you write the notes on a writing pad or a notepad and as soon as the 15 minutes is over you stop writing You tear the page out and break it in small pieces and throw it away. Right. And then open your gratitude journal and then write down your gratitude. So what that does is that therapeutic writing or what you call expressive writing got rid of a lot of negative thoughts that were kind of, I call it, a mental garbage bin your brain becomes a mental garbage bin with all the all the negative thoughts so you need right. to empty it from time to time and so right. this process kind of empties that negative thoughts or the mental garbage gives a little more processing time for your brain so brain can think what to do next And then doing a gratitude journal right after helps to bring your mind into the positive mindset before you start going doing other things in the day. And then every day when you keep on doing it, your mental garbage bin keeps on getting empty and keeps it a healthy mind state.
1: Well, and you're right. But see, here's the book. It's called Opening Up by Writing It Down. So those of you who want to look at the data behind this, again, Dr. Pennybaker started the research in 1982. It just documents what's going on. But see, if you try to use the gratitude journal to fight the negative thoughts, you're done. You have to empty the garbage bin before you can fill it with the gratitude, right?
0: Right.
1: So that's why expressive writing is clearly, again, it's not the final solution. More the gratitude journal is more of a solution. I have not seen anybody truly get better without the writing,
0: Hmm. ever. Mm -hmm. People
1: can get better without it, but the writing is always the first step.
0: Wonderful. What's the second one?
1: Well, first one is the education. I mean, the separation process is big. Right. The writing exercise, of course, helps you separate. I think you just said the third, which is the gratitude or some form of gratitude. But also, we have two of the ones that are really important. One of them is called active meditation, where you just take three to five seconds and just put your brain on a different sensation. So for instance, just drop your shoulders down, relax for a second. What you're doing, you're substituting racing thoughts with a different sensation. So just feel in the back of your chair, just drop it down. And we actually do this in surgery. If we are a little bit frustrated or anxious, we just drop our shoulders down and go to feel. They are connected to the move. So what happens, see, the solution to chronic pain isn't trying to fix yourself thing. It's just connecting to what's right in front of you. So, for example, if you don't believe anything I'm saying today, fine. Write it down. Connect with it. In fact, why should you believe anything I have to say? You've tried everything. You've been in pain. You've been bounced around the medical system. I would be surprised if you believed David Hansen. Why why would this work? So embrace that. So you just embrace what is, and then you just drop it down and put your brain in a different direction. So, again, the education, the expressive writing, and the active meditation or something like that um, works very well. Mm -hmm. But the last one that we'll talk about, which I know we're, we're almost out of time here, and this has been profound. So the most powerful thing we've seen work is expressive writing, but equally as powerful is that we say, look, do not discuss your pain with anybody Hmm. because that's where your attention is. And so the, the key word here is neuroplasticity. So say, if you're in my office, I say, look, Rosina, when you walk out the door of my office, you will never discuss your pain or medical care with anyone ever again, except your medical providers, period. Just stop. Hmm, That
0: is interesting.
1: Because what happens, they talk to their friends, their family, their colleagues, and guess that's where your brain is. And so I say, look, this is like learning a new language. You don't learn French by trying to fix your English. You learn French when you practice French. The new life, I call it an enjoyable life, is that you decide what you want to do and pursue it. But if you're trying to always fix the bad life, it's not going to get better. So I say, look, no talking about your pain no discussing medical care, no complaining, no gossiping, no giving for unasked for advice, no criticism, because that reinforces that part of your brain. And so that's been a profoundly helpful process. And when people come in for the follow, follow-up visit in a couple of weeks, their families will come in with them. And it's such a huge change in the family dynamic because people in pain, including myself historically, when I was in pain, we talked about our pain all the time. And why wouldn't you? Nobody's listening. Nobody believes you. There's no way out. It consumes your life. Why wouldn't you talk about it? So that one little tool, simply never discussing your pain, has been a huge factor in directing the brain in a different direction.
0: I could see like, you know, how powerful it could be because I think people develop their identity as the patient or a chronic pain person because all aspects of life get affected. Oh, I can't sit oh, I can't go for a walk because I'm in pain. I can't do this because of the pain. So how do people respond? Let's say if somebody is in chronic pain and they cannot do certain thing and the family says, okay, let's go do this. Let's say it's it's a parent. It's a mother who is in chronic pain and her kid says, oh, let's go play. And she cannot. So how do do people deal with that situation?
1: Vijay, I can't go out and play. Get rid of the word because I hurt or because I'm not feeling well. You just say, I can't go out and play. And people often ask you, say, well, I'm concerned about you. I want to know what's going on. And I ask my patients to say, look, tell your family members to not even ask. And if they ask this, politely, they say, my doctor has instructed me not to discuss my pain. And it's, believe it or not, it's very hard. Their behavioral pattern has consumed your life. It's one of the hardest and simplest steps at the same time. It probably takes about two weeks to sort of dig in a little bit, probably Uh a good three to six months to really change things. Uh My own own situation, I love to talk about my pain. I love to complain. I love to be a victim. And I just have to continually, every day, three to five times a day, just say, stop. Mm -hmm. This is myself. Just stop. Okay, you're in a victim mode again. Just stop it and just move on. Be nice. Hmm.
0: That is very interesting. Can you share what would be your message for the audience today overall we've been talking about multiple points but what would be your main message at this time
1: every one of us is human there's no quote fixing your pain or fixing your life is a matter of processing your life so the key issue remember stress is not the problem it's your response to the stress and what you're doing with these different tools is you you're literally arming yourself to take care of yourself so again, it's getting a safety versus threat As you learn tools to regulate your own body's chemistry, bring it on. You can navigate life any way you would like. So this is arming yourself to go to battle to take care of yourself. And there's many layers to this, but I would suggest again to get to thedocjourney.com, which is a straight line pathway. The book is back in control. If you're considering spine surgery, please read this book. Do you really need spine surgery? It's a quick read. It helps people make a very clear decision. I'm not against spine surgery, I'm a spine surgeon, but I'm against spine surgery on things that you can't see. I mean, I'm seeing, again, why I quit, I've seen multiple, multiple surgeries done on normal spines. Mm-hmm. You can't make people better if your spine's already normal. So the bottom line is take care of yourself, to self-direct your process, it's not very hard.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and uh, it's time for the special of the day. So before we go into the special, let me, me, I think Dr. Hanscom has agreed to share one of his eBooks that is in the process. So as soon as it is ready, we'll be sharing it on our facebook group happy and healthy mind with dr rosina and of course you can text the word joyful to 38470 to get the access to all the gifts that we share in these programs and so before we go into the special of the day let me ask how many people are already signed up for the seven days of gratitude challenge that started dr Hanscom. have you had the chance to check it out yet
1: I have not all right Sorry, I'm, I'm going to send you
0: I'm going to remind everybody that this is very difficult times so a way to develop this sense of positivity and gratitude would be to develop certain kinds of gratitude practices and so I've combined a lot of unique practices in this challenge so you can sign up at drrosina.com front/ gratitude challenge. And for today's special, I would like to share one of the techniques that we would be talking about. So, you know, year 2020 has been a year of change and challenges. And so many things are happening that it is very hard to keep positive. Like yesterday, my daughter was saying, and, and here we were thinking 2020 is going to be a great year and look what it has turned out to be. So it kind of really implies that 2020 has been a very negative experience in many people's life. And with so many people dying and so much much happening around that it is hard to focus on positive. So would you like me to share a technique that may help you to bring some positivity and some appreciation despite all the challenges at this time?
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: All right. And so so one of the techniques that I share in, in my gratitude journal and I have been practicing for many years. And I want to say thank you to Jean. She's my great friend who has taught me this exercise called 3GT and LFT. So and and this also helps a lot of people who have hard time thinking, spiritually thinking, you know, I am grateful for, because it kind of brings in the thought of spirituality. It also helps people with the spiritual context, but it also helps people who want a little variety in the thought. So you can think about three GT, three good things that have happened in, in your life. I usually, when I do it in my everyday note, I th- think about three good things that have happened since yesterday till today. But because we are coming towards the end of the year, and it has been a year of changes and challenges, let's think about three good things that have come about in 2020. So audience, please go ahead and put your response in the comment section. And Dr. Hanscom, why don't you tell me, can you think about three good things that have happened in year 2020?
1: Yeah. I mean, my wife and I have spent more time together, and we're we're, we're enjoying that. So that's been Uh good. We put, together, we put together this Doc Journey project together, which has been very creative. We also designed an app, which she'd stepped up and she did that. And then I just would not have gotten nearly as much done on this project with all the other user distractions in life. So, but also one, just mention one thing. One thing that changed my life personally is that two of my very successful mentors made a comment of never waste a crisis. Huh. Right. And so you can look at things as obstacles or challenges. And just flipping that word from obstacles or challenges makes a big difference. And words make a difference. We know words make a huge difference. And like I said, positive thinking doesn't work very well. But positive substitution is a huge factor because you're programming your brain to where you want it to go. So if you're using the gratitude just to counteract the negativity... That doesn't work so well, but what you're talking about with the gratitude journal, connecting with expressive writing, is a hugely powerful way to go.
0: Wonderful, yeah. And I send this prompt to some of my friends, and I ask them like, "What are three things that have happened?" And people start saying, "Okay, one of the yeah, one of the audiences sharing this that yeah, you spend more time with your family because more because there was less distraction." So right. that that's wonderful. And somebody else is sharing that family has come together, learned new technology, and read more books. Yes, more people are reading and coming back to reading and learning, expanding their brain. Another person shared, uh, became a grandmother, spent more time with the family, helped guide many patients towards self-awareness and better health. Thank you, Dr. Vasna and Fatma and Shirvano for me, you know, it has made a huge difference by working from home. I have been able to do more exercise that I was not able to do before. So the time that I was spending in commute, I'm able to do more, more exercise. So that has been one good thing in my life. Spending more time with the family has been a second one. And the third one, it has been this, this program, because basically I started Happy and Healthy Mind with Dr. Rosina when the COVID was at the peak and like in April, and I needed to teach my patients how to see me from telehealth so that was my first program And then after that, we talked about how to manage the stress of staying from home. And so we realized so so much more stress and anxiety is going on because of the COVID that we started talking about those topics in these sessions. So it has made a huge difference in my life and all the people who have been impacted by this. So I'm really grateful. We cannot minimize the effect, the negative consequences of life. So when you practice gratitude, it doesn't mean that you're closing eyes to all the things that are happening around you. Okay. So gratitude does not mean closing your eyes. It means choosing to focus on positive. And it reminds me of a story of these. So there were like two prisoners. They go to prison and, and so one day they are sitting and they're looking outside the window and both are thinking. So one person asked the other person, what are you looking at? And this person was like really feeling down and he was looking at the floor. And he said, I'm looking at this dirt. I feel like all my life is wasted. I have nothing left and my value is like this dirt. And so then he asked the other person, okay, what are you thinking? And he says, I am looking at the stars and they are giving me hope. Although I have had this turning point in life, it tells me that I need to take new directions. And I'm thinking what I can do within my capacity over here to bring joy and help people around me. And so do you see the difference? Both are the prisoners. Both feel helpless in some ways. One is looking down and giving up and the other is looking up. And so it's the choice with which you're looking at things. So, gra- grateful people or gratitude practice does not mean that you close your eyes, but it means to focus on the positivity or the opportunity. Like I said, right. uh, the, when you read, uh, did you get a chance to read Viktor Frankl's book, uh, Men's Search for Meaning? yes and he talks about in the book that you can lose everything but one thing would stay with you it's your attitude towards whatever is happening and he did that research and found out the people who survived were the people who kept on focusing on meaning in life and helping others and so for for the message for today is to keep looking for that silver lining keep focus on the purpose in life meaning in life and you would be able to find ways of coping with the difficult circumstances and we would get through it nothing lasts neither the positive nor the negative these times are going to pass too let's get together participate in that gratitude challenge let's develop that part of the brain that helps you build up your resilience and cope with difficulties in life and that note till next time dr rosina and thank you dr hanscom for sharing. yeah thank
1: thank you i enjoyed this